Hey everyone, Danielle Bean here. I just wanted to check in with you before the start of this week's show to share some exciting news with you. Beginning with this episode, I'm partnering with Ascension Press to bring you the Girlfriends podcast. First of all, if you've come here for the first time today through Ascension Press, welcome. I'm so happy to have you join us and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the Girlfriends community. If you want to know more about me and my work and my ministry, you can check out the podcast archives on iTunes or at daniellebean.com. At my website, you can also learn more about what I do. And if you like what you hear today, be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you won't miss any future episodes. For my regular listeners, I want to share with you a little bit about who Ascension is and why we've decided to collaborate to bring you girlfriends. So first, who is Ascension? Ascension's mission, as they stated, is, quote, to present the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith as the sure path to authentic happiness in a hurting world. Through powerful media and shared group experiences, Ascension strives to answer the longings of the human heart with the transformative power of the gospel. That's beautiful language, but really, who are they really? To me, all of that mission statement translates as they share the truth in a beautiful and uniquely engaging way. That honestly, in my own experience, describes all of their products and all of their projects. They're an amazing company doing some really amazing and unique work inside of the church today. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity and the privilege to work with Ascension to create the Momnipotent Program, which is a book that I wrote and also a parish-based study, which is specifically uniquely designed for women. If you're not familiar with my project, Momnipotent, please do check it out. You can learn all about it at momnipotentstudy.com. And that study really is just aimed at the hearts of women encouraging and affirming for women what their true gifts are. As women, uniquely as women, we have gifts that we're meant to use in service of God, in service of our church, in service of our families and everybody that we know and love. And that study just really seeks to empower women to recognize their strengths and to use them for good in the world. So check that out at momnipotentstudy.com. And that's just one of the many projects that Ascension's working on. But because we had such a good experience working together, when I found out that Ascension was starting a podcasting initiative at ascensionpresents.com, I reached out to see if there was a way we could work together to bring girlfriends to a wider audience. And now that's just what we're doing. Ascension's going to be helping me out with some post-production stuff, giving me a fresh new logo, some new music and new bumpers you'll hear now and then, some occasional promotions and that kind of thing. But I want to assure you that girlfriends will still be girlfriends and I am still me, so you can still expect the same kind of content that you know and enjoy here at Girlfriends. Lastly, I want to mention that I'm still dependent upon you for your financial support of Girlfriends through Patreon. The support that you give to the Girlfriends podcast through Patreon solely supports the ministries of daniellebean.com. None of that is a financial benefit to Ascension Press whatsoever. And I'm so grateful to those listeners who have already pledged their support to the ministries of daniellebean.com because as my work expands, and it is expanding with this new initiative with Ascension. Your support and your encouragement through those financial pledges at patreon.com forward slash girlfriends are more important than ever. So thank you for that. All right, that's it. Thanks for being here. And I hope you enjoy this week's show. Girlfriends, episode number 70, Change Just One Habit. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you 
know your worth as a woman, so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about couple getaways, large family logistics, changing just one habit, and submission in marriage. Well, let's not wait any longer. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends. Thanks for being here. Thanks for showing up for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm so happy to have you joining me. This week, we're talking about changing habits. But before we get to that, I'm going to let you know I'm pre-recording this because I'm going to be traveling a bit. Yay! This is fun travel with my husband, who is so sweet and so awesome and so generous. And he planned a little getaway for us to the beach. We're going to have um, some nights away just the two of us. This is something I've talked about before on the podcast here that I know it's hard and certainly it's much more difficult or complicated at different stages in your family life. Um, We happen to be in a pretty good place for being able to get away right now. Um, But we even did it when the kids were younger and it was harder to do. I just think it's so important for couples to get away together. And I'm not just talking about a date night. I'm talking about really get away together. I don't know if I've shared with you before that it was actually several years ago that Dan first planned a go away overnight. I think it was four nights um, when we went to Grenada years ago. And I was not a fan of the idea I didn't want to go. I was because I was so worried about the kids. It wasn't that I didn't want to be with my husband. I just didn't feel like our marriage was in crisis mode and we needed to have that kind of intervention in the first place. But also I was worried about the kids and, you know, for good reason. I mean, we moms, we worry about our kids for good reason. And, you know, God made us that way to make sure that the kids needs are being met. But God made our husbands a different way sometimes. And they see a priority that we won't necessarily see unless we're kind of pushed a little bit outside of our comfort zones. And um, that's what happened years ago when we took that trip to Grenada. And honestly, it took the first full, I want to say like 36 hours for us to just be us again, to shed all that stuff, all the day-to-day stuff. You know, we weren't having problems in our marriage. I, You know, certainly neither of us would have said that at that time. I would have said that we were connecting well on a regular basis and all that. But I didn't realize just how much junk we were carrying around and how much of it had become kind of an obstacle to us truly connecting with one another. And you can only really overcome that by spending extended time alone together. And I'm saying all of this with a caveat. I understand if your family life or your budget or whatever, um, babysitting opportunities, whatever, just won't allow for it. I'm not saying this to heap on guilt, but it's important to do. And I'm finding that at this stage in our lives that I'm so grateful to Dan, who's always been the planner guy, the vacation planner. He loves to do it. And he has a real talent for planning just the best down to the last detail. Sometimes his attention to detail makes me insane because I am like, let's just get this done um, with certain projects and whatnot. But it truly is a gift. And I need to be reminded of the true gift that it is, especially in opportunities like this, where we're going to get a Away for um, a few days and a few overnights and just be the two of us just truly connecting in a beautiful place and I'm looking forward to it immensely and um, you know I was, I was still a little worried about logistics and you know who's going to do what at home and it was funny because I was talking with um, some of my older kids my big girls you know we have a 22 year old living at home so 
that's pretty pretty nice a pretty nice option for when you want to get away um not that she's always available so i was talking with her about different things um for when we're gone and making plans for different kinds of um driving that's going to need to be done meal times you know um little kids uh, need help with their schoolwork and that kind of thing i was talking with her about that and danny who's my youngest he's 10 years old so that gives you an idea of the stage in life that we're at we have eight kids the youngest is 10 like we don't have little babies anymore it's just it's a very different and it's a very freeing stage of life and you too will get there i promise you i once thought i never would but here we are anyway little danny was listening to all of the going back and forth and part of me was still you know worried like is danny going to feel secure is he going to feel okay like while we're gone is he going to miss us too much i know how often should we check in with him that kind of thing and he like interrupted our conversation like i was going through like down to the last detail with my daughter like and maybe we can plan this meal and you know do this on this day and this day these need, these rides need to be done and he interrupted me and just said all we need is a car and a card we're all set <laughs> so he just needs a vehicle and my debit card <laughs> and this 10 year old is going to be a-okay um and what this made me realize was that we are raising a very different child this boy who's 10 years old the youngest of our eight is living a very different life than, say, his oldest brother when he was 10 years old. It's funny. You know, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the stress and the strain of multiple children in multiple stages of life needing your time and attention and how that can be a unique drain to moms, especially moms of larger families or of moms um, who have children of, you know, wide difference of ages that our big kids need us in ways that our little kids don't. And our big kids continue to need us and need our time and energy and attention in ways that they didn't when they were littler. Um, so I was sharing about that in the way that that's a unique drain, but this really kind of opened my eyes to the, the blessing of a, uh, difference in ages in your kids and that I truly do believe that God has a plan for every one of our kids and every one of our kids is born no matter how many you have um, every one of our kids is born to a different set of parents you're not the same mom you were with number one as you are with number two as you are with number eight you're just not that's just life and God's plan has worked into that. His providence has worked into that. That Danny is getting things in his life as a 10-year-old with all these big people coming and going and friends and, you know, older siblings who can drive in places and um, be a source of security and providing for him in a way that his older siblings didn't have. All they had was a mess of babies coming up behind them. They didn't have that influence in their lives. And so that moment was, I mean, it was so funny to me that kids got this kind of confidence that if I hand him my, my credit card and he has access to a vehicle to take him places, <laughs> that that's all he needs <laughs> for all his happiness. And I'm still going to be checking in with him. I'll make sure that he's okay while we're gone. But I, I thought that was really, it was just so funny that he has that level of confidence while while I'm still on some level struggling and holding on and worrying about all, you know, all the way down to the details of these logistics. He's very comfortable. He's very secure. He knows that he's loved and he's cared for in his life. And that was such a blessing to me inside of that moment. And I hope it can be to you too. We fret about so many things as moms. 
whatever stage your family is in, whether they're all grown or you still have all little kids underfoot um, and can't imagine having kids in college, uh, I think it's encouraging for us to get together with one another and kind of affirm for one another, you can so do this, you will so get there, you know, it's going to work out. I, I think sometimes we just kind of need that reminder. And um, and also inside of a larger size family, it can be uniquely challenging. And you can feel like you're messing things up and you can beat yourself up with all the things you're not doing with the littlest kids that you used to do with the bigger kids because now you've got so many other things going on in your life. Our, our life, our family, our little home isn't what it was when our big kids were all little and we were all inside of it. It was, it was a much smaller world and it was a beautiful thing in its own way. And this too is a beautiful thing in its own way. It's just different. And sometimes we struggle with that difference. Um, but there's positive and there, there's negative. There, there are joys and there are challenges to every stage. But I, I just, I, I want to encourage you in the same way that I was encouraged in that moment to recognize that God has a plan for our families. If he made your child an only child, he has a plan for that child inside of that circumstance. If he made your child number 13 and you fear that he's getting lost in the shuffle, God knows that. He has a plan for that child inside of those circumstances. He has a plan for your motherly heart and the way in which you're going to provide for your child in those circumstances. Whatever it is, even if, especially if it's something you never imagined, something you never planned for, something you never expected. Life has a way of doing that sometimes, but there's really joy and there's peace and there's confidence in knowing that God has a plan for each of our children. He knows and loves them uniquely, personally, individually, more than we love them. And he's looking to provide for them. And part of the way that he's going to provide for them is through you, through your love and your care for them. But there are other ways too, and we need to be open to that. So just a little reminder to you, be at peace, mamas. You got this. We got this. We will so get there. Okay, so this week we are talking about habits. I couldn't wait to talk about habits because I've been inspired recently. I've been reading, um, it's a popular book. I think it's like a New York Times bestseller called The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business by Charles Duhigg. Okay, I've been reading it. I say I've been reading it. That's actually a lie. I've been having it read to me <laughs> through Audible. I don't do a lot of um, Audible books. I, I don't know. I, I sometimes find them annoying and I, I'm sometimes put off by the narrator and it ruins the book for me. And I like to be able to read a book and pause, reread, go back. And I find it hard to do that in Audible. But I'm coming around a little bit. I, I like Audible for certain things, especially if, when I'm traveling. It's a great way to kind of um, make my time productive, whether I'm drive, driving or on an airplane. And so I've been listening to The Power of Habit. And um, it really is just like a sociological, scientific look at the power of habits in our lives as human beings, that everything we do is out of habit. And we have the power to change our habits. Um, so it's been kind of inspiring, and I'm not done listening to it yet. There's still some more to go, but he offers a lot of kind of real-life examples of people who have changed their lives. He offers real-life examples of people professionally who've changed their, their lives, like one habit at a time, just, just shifting one habit, um, and the ways in which we respond psychologically, that we're, we're, meant, we're meant, our bodies and our minds are looking for habits. Or that's how we kind of survive, is using habits, using the power of habits. So um, it's been kind of interesting for me to be kind of reflecting on habits, but I wanted to talk about just changing one habit this week. 
we all have good habits and we all have bad habits. And most of us have at least some idea of what our good and our bad habits are. And we have maybe some distant goals for changing our bad habits or improving upon our good habits or expanding them. Um, But I want to get real specific this week and talking about changing just one of your habits. Just keep it that simple because sometimes we don't get started changing a habit because we feel overwhelmed. It feels enormous. It feels like a huge change. We can't possibly do all of that until I do this, until I do that, until this is in place, um, until the perfect moment. But I want to encourage you this week to pick just one habit to change, whether you're going to be giving something up or taking something on. Maybe you're going to be giving up a bad habit or maybe you're going to be taking on a good habit. Ideally, you'll be replacing a bad habit with a good habit. Um, Because one of the things that I've been learning through the book um, is that we look for something to fill the gap if we give up a bad habit. It's most powerful if you replace it with another habit, something positive that you want to be doing. If you have a negative habit, if you replace it with a positive habit, you're more likely to stick with it because there's, there's no kind of wavering gap there that's kind of pulling you back into that negative habit. So um, think about one, I would say, think about one negative habit that you have and, and let's talk about replacing it. Let's just start with one. We can do one thing, right? Let's, let's replace it with a good habit. Um, So, you know, some examples of different areas of your life in which you might want to think about your habits. If you have no idea what you might want to take on with this particular challenge, for sure, you know, we've talked a lot about setting health goals, fitness goals, personal goals at the start of the year. Um, But health is one area in which many of us could afford to take on a new good habit, whether it's exercising, adding exercise to your life if you don't exercise at all or being more regular about it if you're kind of sporadic, or giving up a bad health habit, whether it's smoking or drinking, um, overeating certain kinds of food, if there's a certain kind of food you know that you abuse, maybe you want to give up that habit. Um, But also maybe there's a habit inside of your relationships that you'd rather focus on. It doesn't have to be, you know, a health and fitness goal. Um, Maybe you want to be more present in your relationships. I think we all have that goal. We all could stand to improve in that area. Maybe as um, a way of achieving that, you want to use your phone less. Maybe you want to have certain times of day where you are right now in the habit of just mindlessly scrolling through your phone, where you want to actually be more engaged with the people around you and put that phone away or watch less TV or not spend as many hours on Netflix and actually be engaged with the people in your life. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you want to be more positive and complain less. You know, maybe you've recognized you have a bad habit in your relationships of complaining or always focusing on the negative and you want to change that. You want to be a more positive person. You want to recognize, you know, be grateful for the gifts that you've been given in your life. So that could be a relationship habit that you could be looking to give up and replace with a a more positive one. Or maybe there's something with regard to your work. Maybe there's a habit with regard to your work that you might be feeling called to improve upon, whether it's getting a certain amount of work done each day at a job or in your home. We all work, you know, I I don't know what your job status is. It doesn't matter. We all work. So with regard to your work, whether it's keeping your kitchen counters clean, you might have that kind of a goal. You might have want to start that habit. There might be people that you know and admire who always have a tidy entryway and yours is a disaster. Maybe you want to develop the habit of keeping that area clean or your desk, Maybe your desk is a disaster. (laughs) I certainly have experienced this. Or maybe in your room, your bedroom, so many of us are drowning in piles of clean laundry and 
half-done sewing projects and books and whatever in our bedroom, maybe you want to clean out your bedroom and establish a habit of maintaining that that level of cleanliness in your bedroom. Um, or maybe it's with your professional work and you want to, um, you know, make three phone calls every morning that kind of move you toward a goal or send three emails every day that move you toward a certain um, goal with regard to your work. Or maybe you want to establish the habit of inbox zero, which we talked about a few episodes ago in our productivity podcast. Um, You know, so those are work-related goals, habits that you might want to consider focusing on. I'm, I'm just encouraging you to think about these different areas of your life. And the last one is your faith life. Um, what habits do you have in your faith life? We all have habits. What habits do you engage in? Are they good ones? Are they negative ones? Could they stand some improvement? Maybe you'd like to establish the habit of reading scripture every morning um, or doing the liturgy of the hours or getting to mass one more day in the week. Maybe you want to make that habit of getting to daily mass on Wednesdays in addition to going on Sundays or attending adoration once a week, finding out where it is near you and and spending one hour in adoration every week. That's a worthwhile habit to pursue or getting to confession once a month. Whatever it is, we, we can all have faith-related habits that might involve sacrifice on our on our part, whether it means getting up earlier in the morning, making time in your schedule to drive to the Adoration Chapel, making yourself do the unpleasant thing and preparing and for and going to confession, whatever it is, maybe you have a, a faith habit that you'd like to establish. But what I want to encourage you to do is think about those different areas of your life, your your physical health, your relationships, your work, your faith life, and don't focus on all of them. Pick one. Pick one habit that I'm going to challenge you to change. And I'm encouraging you to know that you have the power to change that one habit in your life. Think about one that you want to change, one that you want to focus on, either adding one or taking one away, ideally taking away a bad habit and replacing it with a positive habit. Just one just one. You can do this. So once you've established what you want to work on, I'm just going to share a few different ideas that can help you be more successful in establishing a new habit. And what's so powerful and important in focusing on just one habit, and I'm sure you've noticed this in your own life, is that one habit leads to another. If you're doing something positive in your faith life, It encourages you and opens you up to more opportunities to do the same and to encourage others to do the same. I I know you know this. I know you've experienced it. So, you know, be encouraged by that. The idea that making one healthy habit, let's say it's adding exercise to your daily routine, whether it's just going for a walk every morning or, um, you know, fitting in a workout in your lunch break or whatever it is, you know that when you're making that a habit, it leads to other healthy habits, um, usually with regard to that same category. So if you were making an effort and establishing a new habit of exercise, you're much less likely to stuff your face with donuts during your coffee break. You're much less likely to have a cheeseburger and fries for dinner. You're, you're just, you're going to choose healthier things because you're growing in that habit and you're focusing on making improvements in that area of your life and reaping the benefits of it in that one habit that you're establishing, it leads to others. It works both ways. If you're practicing a negative habit, it leads to other negative habits inside of that category. So that's why I want to encourage you to focus on one thing and be encouraged by the idea that it's going to lead to other things. It's going to actually have a large impact on your life if you focus on just changing one habit and it makes it feel so doable. It's one thing, one thing. You don't have to change your whole life. You don't have to wait for everything to be in place for it to work out perfectly. 
you you can focus on just changing one thing um, and recognize it's going to be difficult. There are going to be challenges along the way. But um, so I've got a few different tips for helping you to ease your transition in either giving up an old negative habit or establishing a new positive habit. And the first one, and we all know this, is accountability. Getting yourself to be accountable to somebody else can really work great. If you're familiar with Gretchen Rubin, who's the author of The Happiness Project, um, she has what she calls the four tendencies. It's kind of like a temperament quiz. You can check it out. I think her, um, I'll put her website and the link to the quiz in the show notes. But you can take the quiz and find out like she's got four different categories of people that she breaks people up into upholders obligers questioners and rebels and knowing which way you are likely to behave can help you to establish ways of holding yourself accountable ways that you will know that will encourage you to begin a new habit or give up an old bad habit Um, if you're an obliger especially or an upholder. An obliger is somebody who kind of seeks to please other people and doesn't want to break any rules or let anybody down, kind of wants to meet other people's expectations. And an upholder, too, looks to meet other people's expectations, but also to meet their own expectations, kind of a balance between those two. And um, so either of those, and those are pretty common categories. Um, I'm kind of a a temperaments quiz nerd, so um, (laughs) sorry if you're not into it, but I think a lot of people are into like learning more about your personality and this is a great way to do that is knowing which of these categories you fit in and what's likely to help you establish and maintain a new habit so accountability is a big one for many people um having somebody else who knows you're establishing this new habit and is going to check in with you and is expecting you to um, maintain it. And that might be, you know, if the most common one that we think of is an exercise buddy, maybe you're going to meet a friend at the gym, maybe you're going to walk together with a friend or your sister-in-law or whatever it is. Maybe it's even just your kid or your husband. But another part of this accountability is to surround yourself with people who are going to support you in your new habit, not people who are going to sabotage you, not people who are engaged in your old bad habit, you know, people who will value the goal that you've set for yourself and help you to achieve it. That's what you want to be doing is establishing connections and relationships and regular interactions with people who are going to support and encourage you in establishing this new habit, not people who are going to be tearing you down and pulling you in the other direction. So accountability is a big one and it can really help to just have a regular check-in with somebody. You might just, you know, have a friend that you will text and, and say, um, is it okay with you if I, I tell you every day when I'm I'm done with my workout? Or, you know, some people do accountability through social media, like they post every single day their run or their workout. I've done that before, um, but I found it, it, it annoyed certain people. And some people saw it more as bragging, where for me it was like encouraging for me to be checking in with other people. Um, and, and I'm sure it was positive for some people too. But find the right balance for you with regard to who you're going to check in with, um, with regard to establishing your new habit. If your new habit is work-related, it might be somebody at your work that you want to check in with. Um, Or if it's faith-related, maybe you want to get an adoration buddy that you go to adoration with. Um, Or if you um, want to read scripture every day, you want to read like maybe the the readings, the the, um, liturgy of the day. Maybe you have a friend or a group online, there are lots of them, to check in with to talk about the readings or to ask questions or to share a reflection on the readings that, um, that might encourage you, that might hold you accountable 
accountable in a way that will help you to really establish that new habit. Um, the second way that you can encourage yourself in um, achieving positive results with regard to giving up a bad habit or taking on a new good one is to set a time limit for it. Set a certain number of days. 30 days is pretty common. I encourage you in the Easter podcast to think about setting a 50-day goal for something. That might that might work for you, because all 50 days of Easter. Um, but I think 30 is helpful. Even two weeks can be helpful. Setting a time limit to it can be um, really encouraging. Like, let's say you're, you're giving up the bad habit of drinking Diet Coke every afternoon or something. If you tell yourself, I'm doing this and for the rest of my life, I will never be allowed to drink a Diet Coke in the afternoon, which is something you've previously really enjoyed. How depressing, how terrible, how overwhelming and oppressive that feels to think that way. Whereas if you say, for these two weeks, I am not going to drink a Diet Coke in the afternoon. And I'm going to see how that goes. And after two weeks, I'm going to assess it and see how I feel, see how I've done, see if I want to continue this habit. Doesn't that feel so much better? It feels so much more doable, especially inside of those moments where you might be feeling weak and wanting to give in and go back to your old ways. Tell yourself it's just for a set amount of time. And if you need to start small, I mean, some of the 12-step programs use like one day at a time, starting that small, um, depending on how firmly entrenched your bad habit is or how how terribly attached you are to your, your previous habits or how much you loathe the new habits, maybe you do want to commit one day at a time, but then make sure you really are reassessing and recommitting on that regular basis. But you decide. Set a time limit to it, though, because it, it makes it feel less overwhelming. Um, with me, for certain bad habits that I've given up or new good habits that I've taken on, I've found that if you set it like, say, you know, for these two weeks, I'm going to do this. And then by the time you reassess, maybe it doesn't feel 100% awesome yet, but you are encouraged to continue because it doesn't feel as hard as it did in the beginning. You're kind of encouraged that maybe it's going to get easier still. And it does. You know, I know that I do come to a place um, and I, I've done this with various things in my life where I can look back and say, oh, my gosh, like I don't miss that thing at all. Like I used to do that every single day. I don't miss that at all. You can really get to a place where you're that removed, especially if it's something that's harmful for your health or for your relationships, um, some sort of attachment or uh, addiction um, on any level of addiction that's really hurtful to you in some way. Once you achieve a certain level of detachment, however painful it is to get to that level, you can really have perspective and you can be removed from it and recognize that wasn't a good thing for me and I don't miss it. So um, just set a time limit to it that makes it all the more doable for you and be encouraged to know that you really can establish a new habit. Human beings are made for habits. So if you're replacing a bad habit with a good habit, um, you're that much more likely to achieve success with it. All right. So I want to talk also about controlling your negative thoughts. You know, we've talked about how hard it can be to give up an old bad habit can really be difficult. Um, if you have an old habit of wasting, you know, 90 minutes every evening using Netflix and you don't want to be doing that anymore, that was such a pleasant thing perhaps that you would easily fall back into or you might miss that level of relaxation maybe um, that you achieved through that. So that's why it's important to replace it with something else. Make sure your needs are getting met. Your Whatever need it was, your negative habit was fulfilling. Find a positive way to meet those needs. Don't just ignore that you have them. That's not going to work in the long run. Um, but then be cognizant of the kinds of thoughts you're having. 
the, the negative thoughts you're having. Because it's natural that when something is difficult, we start thinking negative thoughts. We start thinking, this is so hard. I'm terrible at this. I'm never going to succeed at this. This, you know, my life is over. I'll never have any fun again. I'll never enjoy anything again. This stinks or whatever it is that you start kind of spiraling downward with negative thoughts. But be aware of what kinds of thoughts you're having. And I'm always reminding people, you get to control what you think. You control your thoughts and learn to control them. One helpful thing that I I once read, and I can't give you a source for it. I wish I could credit somebody for this, but I can't. It just stuck with me, though, that when you find yourself and hear those negative thoughts, go ahead, let yourself have the negative thought, but add the word but to the end of it and give yourself a positive spin on it, a little bit of encouragement at the end of your negative thought. So it might be like you're getting up earlier in the morning. You're trying to establish a new habit of getting up early in the morning to um, go to mass. Okay, your first thought as you're getting out of bed and it feels terrible is, oh my gosh, I'm not a morning person. Or it's so hard for me to get up early in the morning. I'm so exhausted. This feels terrible. Okay, go ahead and let yourself think those negative thoughts. But at the end of it, say, but it's getting a little bit easier every day. Or, but I feel so good later in my day when I know that I've made the effort to do this. But my faith life is really reaping the benefits of getting myself to mass more often. But Jesus is waiting for me at the chapel and I don't want to leave him waiting. You know, just decide some positive spin that you can put on that negative thought or if it, you know you're working on your homemaking skills and you know you could say as you're noticing how difficult it is to keep up with the laundry I'm not a natural homemaker I stink at this I'm not very good at keeping the laundry caught up I let it overwhelm me I let it get out of control I'm so lazy whatever it is but every day that I do it I feel great but Every load that I wash, fold, and put away is that much more that's accomplished. But I'm making small steps toward making this a new habit every day, and that feels good. You know, whatever it is, give yourself that that kind of positive feedback, you know. But it feels so good when I see all the laundry folded and put away. Or, um, or if you have a health goal, this is the big one, right? We get so unmotivated if the scale isn't moving or if our clothes aren't fitting differently, if we don't immediately feel like we look like a bikini model, right? You're, it's so hard because you're doing the hard things. You're saying no to all those foods and other things you enjoy or you're eating smaller quantities or you're exercising, you know, really positive changes that you're looking to make and then not getting instant results. And that can be so frustrating. And then the temptation is to be like, I'm not seeing any change in the scale. I'm going to feel this fat forever. I'm not an athlete. I can't lose weight. Um, Whatever it is that you're kind of tempted to think negative thoughts about, let yourself say it, but then say, but I feel so much better about myself when I make a positive, healthy choice for lunch. Or, but every day that I exercise, I have more energy and I feel so good about myself for the rest of the day. You know, let yourself have the negative thought. Go ahead. You're going to do it anyway. Just indulge in that negativity. But then add the word but and give yourself kind of an attitude shift. All right. The last thing I want to mention with regard to establishing a new habit, and I'm encouraging you to do this, to take on this challenge. Don't just ignore me. You can do this. Um, Take on one new habit. Um, And as you're doing it, um, get rid of temptation and or distractions. There's so much to be gained here. 
You know, I think sometimes we expect ourselves to have such good, strong will power. Um, and that is not always the case. Like willpower isn't, isn't always your friend. <laughs> and sometimes we set ourselves up for failure, maybe by buying the foods that you, you don't want to be eating. They're in your house. Um, or set yourself up for success. Instead, put t positive temptations around you. Um, if you're wanting to do more spiritual reading, have the books right there where you usually spend your downtime or where you usually scroll through Facebook, have the books right there so it's easy for you to pick that up or put your phone in a hard to reach place during those times where you're trying to have less distraction and be more focused and engaged with the people and relationships in your life. Get rid of those temptations and distractions and kind of set yourself up for success in the same way that sometimes we set ourselves up for failure by putting those temptations and distractions all around us. All right, I lied. That wasn't the last one. I thought of one more that I wanted to add here, and that's to track your progress with regard to your new good habit um, or in giving up your old bad habit. This is so encouraging. Even if it's just marking an X on the calendar every day that you've achieved your new habit or that you've engaged in this new activity, it's so powerful to be able to look back and say, look, look how far I've come. You know, if you can't always feel your progress immediately and you don't always see it. Um, this is why with like weight loss programs and stuff, people often encourage um, people who are looking to lose weight to, to take pictures of themselves as however painful it is before um, you lose the weight um, because it can be hard to see small changes in your body. But the same applies to other kinds of habits that you might be trying to establish, whether it's doing more spiritual reading, whether it's being more engaged with other people in your relationships or getting yourself to daily mass or keeping up with inbox zero or whatever it is. You know, you might keep a journal as a way of, you know, write, writing down how you feel about it and how you're doing with establishing this new habit. And you could look back on day 15, look back on day two and say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not struggling like that anymore. And that can be really encouraging. Or even just having, you know, an X on the calendar for, um, it can be a really kind of tangible way to track your progress that can be really encouraging. So those are the different ways that I want to challenge you and encourage you to consider giving up a bad habit and replacing it with a good habit this week and in the weeks to come. So have accountability, set a time limit to it, use the word but to control your negative thoughts, get rid of temptations and or distractions and then write it down to be able to track your progress. I can't wait to hear from you. I want to know what habits you're looking to take on. Use me for your accountability partner if you want to. I find it so encouraging to know that people struggle with the same kinds of things I do. All these different kinds of categories I've been talking about, all things that I struggle with, all things that I want to improve in, all ways that I want to establish new and healthy habits. But I find it so encouraging to know that other people struggle with it too. And other people are setting positive goals for improvement and working hard to achieve those goals. So I want to hear from you. I want to know what habit you're looking to take on or what bad habit you're looking to replace inside of your life. You can email me at danielle at daniellebean.com. Of course, you can always comment in the show notes at daniellebean.com. Those show notes are always there as a way for you to con um, comment on the content. Or while you're there at daniellebean.com, you can click that little tab for leaving voicemail. You know I love to hear from you. You know that is my love language 
when you leave me voicemail that I can add to future episodes. It's the best. And another way that you can send me a voicemail is through Voxer, which is a fun app you can download on your phone. And all you have to do is press one button to leave a voice message and you can get the link. There's a specific unique link to connect with me on Voxer to my account on Voxer. I love hearing from people that way. It's so fun and it's so easy. Um, That link is in the show notes for every episode of Girlfriends at DanielleBean.com. Let me know how you're doing. I would love to hear from you. Okay, now it's time for a listener question. And this week, um, I have a doozy of a question from listener Sarah. I love you, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you so much for writing in. Sarah says, thank you for your podcast. I really enjoy listening to Girlfriends every week. I have a question for you, and I think I might not be the only one. At least I'm hoping I'm not the only one who struggles with this. I really struggle with obedience to my husband. I know what Ephesians 5 says about wives submitting to their husbands, and my husband does remind me of it sometimes when I am being rebellious, but on some level, it feels just wrong for me to have to submit to him because I am a woman and he is a man. Is this ever a struggle for you or for other people? I feel like I just can't be the, quote, good Catholic wife, end quote, because I am terrible at this one thing, which feels like everything. Oh, Sarah, gosh, I mean, my heart's going out to you. This is a difficult question for me to answer um, because I've had a lot of different experiences with this, both personally and through friendships, and not knowing what's going on in your marriage, I can't advise you specifically with regard to your struggle with this issue. Um, I'm saying this because I've been burned before where I've tried to encourage women to be, and I don't use the word submissive. I think it's just an on fire word. We don't need to be using the word submissive, but maybe to surrender more, um, to be less prideful, um, to be more generous and giving inside of their marriages. We've talked about that in a previous podcast, practicing generosity in your marriage, kind of that giving in and letting go that we're all called to. Um, And inside of marriage, we're called to a mutual submission. Yeah, Ephesians 5 Um, calls out women to be submissive to their husbands, but it calls for husbands to love their wives. And so anyway, what I was sharing with you was that I've given advice to women who've asked me for advice on this specific topic before, and I didn't know what was going on in their marriages and what was going on was really terrible and abusive. And the last thing in the world they needed was me encouraging them to give in more you know? Um, So that's why I hesitate, Sarah. I don't know what's going on in your marriage. You might have a very loving and healthy marriage, but not knowing that, I'm not going to tell you specifically what to do inside of your marriage. But I will, as I did previously in that previous podcast about generosity in your marriage, encourage everyone to be generous and giving inside of their marriages. But the number one thing I want to point out is that all of this obedience talk and submission talk, and it really gets me when you hear Christian men talk about the importance of submissive women in relationships because not because I'm some crazy, you know, feminazi person that's um, encouraging women to be rebellious in all areas of their lives. Certainly rebellion doesn't work well in any human relationship, much less a marriage. And men and women are called to different roles 
equal but different roles inside of marriage, inside of our relationships. But we must never lose sight of the fact that we're individuals and everyone has their own unique strengths and weaknesses, their own flaws and their their own good tendencies. And all of those work out differently inside of every marriage. So I can't speak in generalities about how women ought to behave in marriage. And honestly, um, the reason my ire gets up when I hear men super focused on women needing to be submissive in marriage is, dude, you are focused on the wrong thing. Dude, love your wife. You know, to me, that's what's missing inside of those relationships. And if I sound a little angry here, it's because inside of my own personal life with friends I know and love and care about deeply, I've witnessed this very thing where the husband, as Sarah mentions, is reminding his wife of her duty to be submissive. But in those circumstances and in others that I've heard about and people that I've only known online and people who've emailed me, what's really missing is love. Nothing else matters. We can't even get to any of that other stuff. We can't even begin to care about any of that other stuff if the fundamental value of love is already missing inside of a relationship. And that's been my experience. Men who are hyper-focused on the obedience of their wives are lacking love. If they were focused on love, they wouldn't have to worry about their wives disobeying or not being submissive or being independent, you know? If somebody loves you and you feel that love and it's authentic and you're cared for, you're not going to rebel against that person. You're going to want good things for that person. That's how human beings work. So whenever there's a real struggle with regard to this idea of submission, I'm always very cautious and I think love is probably lacking at some place in that relationship. And now I'm not talking about you, Sarah, and your particular relationship with your husband. Like I said, I don't know what's going on there. I'm talking in generalities that... It's it, when there's a struggle there, when people get hyper-focused on those ideas, whether it's the husband or the wife or both of them together, hyper-focused on the idea that, that the woman needs to be obeying the man and he needs to be the head of the household, that kind of thing, I think love is lacking. And um, there, there's a real opportunity there to address that, hopefully, before things um, get too bad. And something that really strikes me about this in my own relationship with regard to Ephesians 5 is... As um, a young woman, when I was in college and um, I was in a biblical theology class and and then I was in um, a sociology class, which was looking at the structure of the family. And through all of that, we were looking at Ephesians 5 and we were studying it. And I went to my dad, who's a philosophy professor, and I was having real issues. Um, At the time, I was engaged to marry Dan. This was my senior year of college. And I went to my dad and I said, why am I having such a hard time with this? I can't accept this. I feel like I, I, so every part of me wants to rebel against this. And of course, I was a product of our culture to some extent. Um, and the idea of, you know, St. Paul calling on women to obey their husbands and be submissive to their husbands um, didn't sit right with me. And I was having a real kind of struggle with it. And even in my own preparation for marriage. But then when my dad talked to me about it, and I wish I could tell you exactly what he said, whatever words of wisdom he imparted to me, but he opened my eyes to the fact that All of this is to be understood in the context of a loving relationship. You know, my problems and my rebellion and my that's not fair were all when I was looking at these words on the paper and just considering them there and trying to figure out how is that just, how is that fair, how does that add up and how is this not taking advantage of women? And when I understood it in the context of my husband, my husband-to-be at the time, Dan, that, oh, this is about me and Dan and our relationship. 
and I know he loves me and sacrifices for me and would do anything for me. That, Dan? That's what this is about? Oh, that's not a problem at all. Of course I want to sacrifice for him. Of course I want to, um, you know, recognize his authority in certain circumstances and, uh, you know, choose his good. Of course I do. So it made all the difference in the world to understand that passage in the context of relationship. If in the context of your relationship, of your marriage, you're, you're lacking love, which is the language through which we need to talk about all of these things. If love is lacking, then you got no business, male or female, focusing on anything else until that's resolved. Because that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do, especially inside of our marriages. We're called to be and practice love to one another. That's what men are called to do with their wives. If that's lacking, why are we talking about this other stuff? We can't even get there. We can't even begin to have that conversation. We can't even begin to care about that because we're lacking something fundamental. So that's my little soapbox speech about Ephesians 5. But it's been my experience that many opinions abound with regard to this scripture passage. But I am most interested in knowing how this plays out in your life. Have you struggled with this passage? Do you struggle with the idea of that word submission inside of your own marriage? Is it something that really is an issue for you? And um, maybe you... you um, have a point of contention with something that I've shared here. I, I'd love to hear from you in your own experiences with the scripture passage, but more importantly, inside of the context of your relationship with your husband. Um, in what ways has this been a struggle for you? In what ways has it been a blessing for you? Um, maybe you could even share a personal situation. I think this would probably be more helpful to Sarah if more of us can kind of share our own experiences and our own perspectives and the ways in which this scripture passage applies or just doesn't apply to our lives specifically inside of our marriages, whether or not it's a point of contention. So um, send me your feedback. Send it to me at Danielle at DanielleBean.com or connect with me through social media. You know how to find me. I'm Danielle Bean on pretty much every social media platform. I would love to connect with you, hear from you, give me your voicemail feedback, and I can add you to a future episode of Girlfriends. And now I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you so much for participating and just being present here for me week after week, episode after episode. It means so much to me that you listen, that you subscribe, and that you share your feedback on the topics that I talk about here. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. Your presence is a real gift and encouragement to me. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a DanielleBean.com production. Know your worth, find your joy.